Welcome to Listener's Advisory, the San Diego Public Library podcast. Season 3 is in the works. Today, check out this bonus episode featuring some familiar voices and a prominent writer. So stick around. This should be fun. Hey everyone, Bob here. Just a heads up, some big things are afoot here at SDPL. We're currently getting ready to reopen on Sundays for the first time since the initial pandemic closures. It's a big to-do and requires all hands on deck. This, along with a few other things we're working on, means we've decided to push back season three for the time being. However, we're still producing content and are eager to share. For today's bonus episode, we've got our annual favorite podcast segment, along with a preview interview with science fiction writer Corey Doctoro. We hope you enjoy. Hey folks, Bob here. Welcome to our Season 3 Favorite Podcasts Roundtable. Once again, we're here to do what librarians do, which is give our two cents on what we think is worth checking out. Today in studio, I'm joined by Deputy Director of Customer Experience and Executive Producer of the Listener's Advisory Podcast, Jennifer Jenkins. JJ, what is good? What's up? What's happening? We're back. We're back in the studio. I'm also here with Listener's Advisory co-host and bookseller extraordinaire, Scott Eric Burgess. Scott, how are you? I'm good. These new microphones you have for the podcast are so good, I had to take about 10 seconds to put my water bottle down on the table so it wouldn't pick it up. (laughs) I'm going to go ahead and jump right in with my recommendations. First up, I've got Ghost Heard by Northwest Public Broadcasting's Anna King. This pod premiered this past February. It's a six-part series. It covers the fall of the Easter Day Cattle Ag Empire. The pod starts off with the death of the patriarch of the Easter Day family, Gail Easterday. It covers the aggressive expansion of the business by his son, Cody. Eventually, it shows how Cody engaged in what King characterizes as a massive cattle rustle. The pod is kind of like a short version of long-form audio journalism, so I don't know about y'all, but I don't really have the bandwidth to follow shows like S-Town or Serial these days. So I really appreciate shorter shows, less shows. These clock in at about 25 minutes. I really like the reporting style. I especially like Anna King's liberal use of puns in her writing. Something else that really stood out for me was the music production. Music's handled by an organ-based guy named James Dean Kendall. The sound is kind of dark, country, kind of twangy, really dope. Our own pod has kind of come to have a unique sound um, because we've been fortunate enough to have some original contributions. So it's something that I really um, check for when I'm listening to podcasts. There's an interactive website. There's a pod player. There's photos. There's episode transcriptions, there's legal docs, maps. Shout out to KUOW Public Radio out of Washington State for putting out a really great show. Up next, I got Borrowed by Brooklyn Public Library. So most library podcasts that I've encountered are interview shows. So usually one host, one guest having like a semi-scripted discussion on some specific topic. Borrowed is like listener's advisory in that it's a produced show, so episodes are written, they're edited, there's music, field recordings, interviews, and all that good stuff. Borrowed has two hosts, so kind of think Code Switch or Radio Lab. The vibe of the show is kind of This American Lifelike, and the pod's catchphrase is even stories that start at the library. 
they do like themed shows that are a little bit longer, so about 20, 25 minutes. They did one on Valentine's Day where they looked at um, like the romance genre of books, which was really fun. And then um, they've done other like holiday themed episodes. One was called Family Meal, which was a Thanksgiving story. Then they did one. It was an episode honoring the 10th anniversary of Superstorm Sandy, which was which was really, really good. But the way they connected it to the library was really cool as well. They also do shorter episodes where they look at like a single event or program. One of my favorite things that they do are what they call audio postcards. And those will oftentimes come from specific locations. So they had one from the Diker Library where they talked to folks from a local choir. They had one from the Central Library where they covered the final championship of the Brooklyn Robotics League. So really fun stuff. Overall, in addition to telling like the stories of their community, it really feels like they're telling the story of libraries at large. They just lost their longtime host. I think she got a job or maybe she just moved to the West Coast, but they've mentioned that they got some new bigger things in the work. So I'm super excited to see what's next from the Borrowed podcast. It does. It looks like a great, um, we should have an exchange program where we we go hang out with those podcasters and see how they're That'd doing. That'd be awesome. It. Yeah, I reached out to them. I told them how much I dug their podcast, and and they were psyched to hear from me. So, were they like, "Let's collab"? They didn't. No. They didn't say that. Oh, were they like, "We'll listen to your <laughs> podcast. It's probably as good as ours is." Um, <laughs> JJ, what you got? Oh, okay, it's me. All right, so consider me your uh, Gen Z correspondent reporting from the field (laughs) because I have got one of the Gen Z's in my household and she does talk to me sometimes. I was going to ask you if you've been able to make contact with her. There are times when she doesn't come out of her room for a really long time, but when she does, she's got all of these little nuggets of insight and cultural references and knowledge that really surprise me. So the kids are all right. That's the first thing I'm here to report. But second of all, the kids are into podcasts. So my really? Gen, my Gen Z correspondent is 13. And when I told her that I, we were recording the round table, she was like, you have to talk about sort of the story. And she told me this 15,000 times. So I promised her that I would listen to a couple of episodes and recommend it. And I have to say, it is cute. It's funny. It's got a 4.9 rating on Spotify, if that means anything. But sort of the story is two friends, Janie and Max, they both have degrees in folklore. And they, that's literally the the podcast, is they tell each other stories. Folk Shout tales. out to Lydia Bringerud. Literate Lydia Bringerud from last season, Dr. B, also has a PhD in folklore. Um, so... At the core, it's all about the transformative power of storytelling, as well as the really messed up like fairy tales and stories that we have grown up with over our lives. Um, And they will also talk about like, you know, less known stories, not just Grimm's fairy tales, but all types of stories. So you would hate this one, Bob, because it is not scripted. There's a good 15 minutes of chatter and talk and giggling at the beginning while they're getting warmed up. So I know you would not like it. However, when they really get into the storytelling part and focus on the meat of the episode, then, um, then you're riveted. They're also funny. It's like 
it's billed as a comedy podcast um so they take like a a fun approach to some of these dark dark stories from our lore and our history but like just to give you an example of some of the hilarious episode titles episode number 14 is called lesbian cat paradise subtitle and where did princess cotton grass go another episode i want to shout out is called haunted dolls and spooky witches everybody loves haunted dolls and spooky witches uh this one hot as hell women be inventing science fiction like the jokes, the laughs, they're all here. Can I just say that you are in on the ground floor on this one? So I think for our listeners, if they want to be early adopters, they um, have 321 followers on Instagram. There you go. So we're, we're early. I had one other podcast that I wanted to recommend called Stolen, uh, but it's about residential schools in Canada and the generational impacts uh, related to the abuse the physical, mental, emotional, and sexual abuse that happened to entire families in these residential schools. And it's heartbreaking. There is, uh, there's a real twist uh, when you get to the end of this uh, series because you find out the connection, the true meaning of like the connection of the host and why she is delving into this story about her family and, and history and her father. Um, but it's really intense um, really will make you think I probably listened to it like eight months ago and it sticks with me. like I still think about it it stuck with me so stolen is another one I'd recommend do you remember the host's name I dropped my phone on the oh, floor or it. I can tell you <laughs> uh, Scott what you got for us Bob I'm gonna go maybe against type I'm gonna do financial literacy podcasts I know Ooh, that probably surprises a lot of people who have seen seen my lifestyle um so i consume all my podcasts typically on youtube which is just a thing mainly because in the morning i'm making my smoothie and uh, sometimes you can't hear the podcast you can only see it when the blender's going so i've got two podcasts that i actually do watch every week habitually and uh, the first one is called the compound and friends it is a CNBC contributor, downtown Josh Brown and Michael Batnick, and they are financial advisors for Ritholtz Wealth Management. So sounds super boring right off the top there. Uh, Ritholtz has a number of other financial podcasts, but I wouldn't recommend any of the other ones. So this is a weekly conversational podcast. It's basically centered on current events taking place on Wall Street, financial planning issues, crypto, all sorts of you know bank failures, anything in the news that's finance related, they'll cover. And it's hour long, and it's a conversation where they have a rotating group of guests who are all uh, basically their friends and buddies from uh, stockbrokers, analysts, hedge fund managers, finance journalists, bloggers. It's very casual, unfiltered, probably described best as a happy hour with coworkers venting about the day's events at work, except in this case, they're all working in the filthy business of Wall Street. If you ever have been in an airport or just happen to be watching CNBC at home for some reason, uh, you'll know that all the presenters are very kind of uptight and very against the type of folks that I usually am hanging out with. But Josh Brown is an interesting guy. He's a Gen Xer as I am. He has uh, encyclopedic knowledge of early hip hop. He is more comfortable in a hoodie than a tie. So he comes on to CNBC. He's usually the breath of fresh air and wit 
And so I kind of looked into him because of that and found he does this podcast uh, with his buddy Michael, who is basically the Andy Richter to uh, Josh Brown's Conan. And the guests they have are just super interesting because they're also um, able to let their guard down. They're not like on a formatted television show trying to do sound bites. And they just kind of talk about uh, the corruption of Wall Street. Another thing I like about the show is, as you probably know, the Wall Street industry is super not diverse. Yeah, and they do a pretty good job of having like different voices on the show. Um, I'm not going to say it's like diverse at all, but I would say 15% of their guests are women, which is like way out of proportion for everything else I've seen as far as financial literacy stuff. It's kind of shocking how male dominated it is, but they seem to do a good job to try to get other voices on the show. So let me ask you this. Have you made any improvements to your financial life based on information that you've received from this show? I don't think I have enough money for my decisions to matter, but that is a great question. I do think it it brings a lot of level-headedness and it sort of cuts through this BS that that the stock market is is a casino and a sporting event and, you know, they do caution people to actually have a financial plan and not to listen to any advice they give on their show. Oh, okay. Yeah, they all, that's one of their catchphrases is like do not take any of us <laughs> as financial advice. So that's the Compound and Friends. That's uh, on Apple Podcasts, but I listen to it on YouTube because they have a lot of charts and graphs. So you're gonna miss out if you don't watch it. So it's definitely, I was gonna say, so it's definitely like a a show, like it's a produced thing that has a visual component to it. Well, no, it's it's like this. They're at a desk with microphones, um, but they show PowerPoint stuff with different statistics that they'll talk over. So it's easier to follow if you watch it. The other one I have is a little more controversial. And at the time I was thinking of recommending it, it was pretty obscure. And now it is a couple weeks in a row, I think it's been the number one rated podcast in the world. And that is the All In Podcast. Are you familiar with this, Bob? I know the title. So the All In Podcast is a weekly conversational podcast centered on the tech industry, venture capitalism, current events, politics, featuring uh, four well-known, very influential Silicon Valley uh, seed investors. So it's uh, Chamath Palitapia, who is the king of SPACs. If you're familiar with uh, some of the financial scandals in recent years, SPACs are kind of a uh, really shortcut way to to launch a company on the public market. And it's been heavily criticized, but he made billions from it. And he's recently pulled back from it completely as it's been discredited. Um, But interesting guy. Uh, The other host is Jason Calacanis, who was an early uh, investor in Airbnb. And uh, Chamath was also uh, one of the first executives at Facebook. Then there's David Freeberg, who also was at Facebook and was one of the founders of PayPal, I believe, with uh, David Sachs, who's the fourth member of this team, also an early investor of uh, PayPal. Sachs and Jason Calacanis currently are unofficial advisors at Twitter because all four of these folks are best friends with Elon Musk. 
So this is a podcast that's been described by Slate as an infuriating, fascinating, <laughs> safe space for Silicon Valley's money men. I don't like the sound of this at all. <laughs> I would I would describe it as a seductively insidious rebranding of bro frat culture. It is toxic masculinity rebranded for the chess club Mensa set. Uh, kind of rebranded as postmodern sensitive men. They're willing to discuss their sweaters. They talk about their family traumas, their battles with weight and anxiety. They talk about meditation, therapy. In addition to the economy, the stock market, politics, culture, uh, the HBO show The White Lotus, venture capital investing, bleeding edge tech, including AI, crypto, and nuclear fusion. And then they inevitably constantly talk about Elon Musk. Uh, when they're not talking about uh, private jets, yachts. I know so much more about Elon Musk than I wish I did because everybody talks about Elon Musk. Which is why this podcast went from, uh, so it started as an obscure podcast they started during the pandemic um, to replace their weekly poker night because, of course, billionaires play poker. Oh God. And because of the Twitter Musk thing, it has blown up and now it is super popular. But I... I'm feeling the pushback in the room here. So I was going to say, like, is this a hate listen? Because I White don't. Lotus was a hate watch for me. I did I not. Hated both I did seasons not of it, like and White I watched Lotus. every single episode. I object, Your Honor. That was a great <laughs> show, and the second season was even better than the first. I it got, was well done. I still hated it. I got through four episodes, and I was like, oh I don't need gosh. this in my life. Yeah. If you yeah. can't stay tuned for Jennifer Coolidge, then you're dead to me. <laughs> So I find it, and I would advocate if anyone wants to check it out, I find it valuable personally as a way of recalibrating my own biases. And so here's where I'm going with this. It's fascinating to kind of see how my consumption of the show via YouTube, first of all, has influenced the algorithm feeding me content and how the algorithm is now pushing me down this kind of Elon Musk bro dead end where like Lex Friedman's podcast, Jordan Peterson, other icons of the kind of modern pseudo-intellectual libertarian anti-woke movement. Like I get fed content from that, right? Constantly now. Um, but it's also fascinating to watch because they're four really well-educated, seemingly hyper-self-aware billionaires who like to rail against out-of-touch elites and groupthink. And yet in the same breath, they talk about, like I said, their private planes, their yachts, their personal chefs. The irony. Um, the irony. The irony. And you know, they're all poker buddies, so it's all kind of like fun ribbing and stuff. So you just, it's, it's a totally fascinating look at how they brand themselves as human to try to draw you in. It's a very seductive watch. And when you listen to them talk, the conversations are super intelligent and you're like super kind of persuaded and they don't necessarily all agree with each other. They have political differences. Three of them are heavy Democratic donors. Uh, Sachs is a heavy DeSantis acolyte donor. But what's interesting is when you know the topic yourself very well and you listen, you, you find that they're riddled with factual inaccuracies mm -hmm. in their opinions. But when they talk about things you don't know about, you're so convinced by the points they're making. And so I think it really brings up that we live in this media age now where everything you have to take with a grain of salt and figure out what oh, the, the platform is and why they're presenting this point of view to you and what the motives are. 
But if you are willing to check it out and you're willing to put aside your own personal feelings, I would suggest you check out the episodes on AI because that's one of the things as venture capitalists that they're really hooked into and their discussions about chat GPT are riveting. Right on. Well, I appreciate you both coming through. Thanks. Thanks, Bob. Thanks for having us. Recently, I had the privilege of interviewing one of my favorite authors about his latest novel. Hi, I'm Cory Doctorow. I'm an activist and a writer. I write science fiction novels, books for little kids, books for middle grade readers, young adult books, and nonfiction books, mostly about tech and policy and digital human rights. The novel is perhaps the world's first anti-finance financial thriller. It's called Red Team Blues, and it comes out April 25th. In fact, Corey will be launching the book in person here in San Diego on the 25th with our good friends over at Mysterious Galaxy. Given what a polymath Corey is and how generous he is with his time, our scheduled 10-minute Zoom stretched to 40, and we wandered into other topics including artificial intelligence, digital copyright, digital privacy, tech bros and crypto, and of course my favorite topic, libraries. We'll release the full interview as its own episode, but until then, here's a short preview. I am a recovering library worker. I'm a page and uh, cataloger, and I'm a visiting professor of library science at the University of North Carolina. And for many years, I worked with international library organizations at the World Intellectual Property Organization, uh, IFLA and Eiffel. And I'm a library stan. Every writer says that. But for me, it's very true. When I was in the ninth grade, I got to a point where the school that I was in and I were foundationally incompatible. My my parents were not interested in, in hearing my pleas to transfer to a kind of groovy alternative school like the one I'd gone to elementary and middle school at. And so I just de-enrolled myself. And I went down to the Metro Reference Library in Toronto, taking the subway down every morning. And I spent the whole day there for day after day, week after week, going through the microfilm and reading weird old 19th century newspapers, which would then give me weird topics to search, which would then send me into the stacks, which would then send me back to the newspapers. It was as close to browsing the web as you could get before the web in the in the mid 80s. After a couple of weeks, my school figured out that I wasn't attending. Spoke to my parents. We had a blazing row. It ended well. I ended up in a uh, a groovy alternative school took seven years to get her before your uh, high school and dropped out of four undergraduate programs. But now I got an honorary PhD, so I'm calling that a success. And here's Corey talking about his new novel, Red Team Blues. And it is the final adventure of a hard charging, two fisted forensic accountant. And now he's at the end of his career, and he has a dear old friend who is a cryptographer from the days when crypto meant cryptography, who has unwisely involved himself in a cryptocurrency project that is worth nominally uh, a little over a billion dollars, except that this guy even more unwisely built a backdoor into his blockchain, one that would let organized criminals or governments or just him uh, exfiltrate as much money as they wanted. And uh, now the keys that operate that backdoor have gone missing, and it's Marty's job to find them. It's a noir thriller. Uh, I wrote it in a white hot kind of burst of of work. It, it took about six weeks. The last time I wrote a book that fast, it was Little Brother. And I knew I had a winner because I, I rolled over in bed the night after I finished it. And my wife was sitting up in bed at 2.30 reading off her screen. And I said, what are you doing? And she said, I had to find out how it ended. 
Stay tuned for the full interview, and don't forget to catch Cory Doctorow presenting Red Team Blues at Mysterious Galaxy Bookstore on Tuesday, April 25th at 7 p.m. Something tells me this is the beginning of big trouble. That's going to do it for this bonus episode. I'd like to thank our guests, Jennifer Jenkins and Cory Doctorow. For more information on the works mentioned in today's episode, please see our show notes or visit us at sandiego.gov forward slash SDPL podcast. This podcast is supported by the Library Foundation SD. For more information on the good work they do, visit libraryfoundationsd.org. If you like what we're doing here at Listener's Advisory, please consider sharing our podcast on your social media, leave us a rating or review via your favorite podcast directory, or tell someone you know about us. Thanks in advance.